This is Strange Assembly, episode 302, Cults of the Blood Gods. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. We're talking today about Cults of the Blood Gods. This is the most recent physical release for Vampire the Masquerade 5th Edition. Cults of the Blood Gods is published by Onyx Path Publishing. Cults of the Blood God was their second Kickstarter after Chicago by Night. The PDF came out a few months ago. I backed this. I wanted to wait till I got my nice premium quality physical book to be able to look at that and do a review. So, so you're getting it now. Cults of the Blood Gods is really two different books. It is what the title says about cults of the blood gods it's going to have information on vampire religions and then on how vampires might use mortal cults to support themselves uh, a la the osiris predator type in the core book it is also an introduction of what is now the very final clan of the 13 vampire clans to be introduced to v5 which is the hecata and the Hecata, as you know, if you've been following V5, there used to be the Giovanni clan. We won't go any further back than that, right? But there used to be the Giovanni clan. The Giovanni were necromancers. The Giovanni had a number of enemies and related offshoots. Uh, a lot of this came out of the fact that they had become a clan by destroying another clan. And the Hecata are the amalgam of the Giovanni and all of these other bloodlines that sprung off of the Cappadocians. Plus also the Nagaraja thrown in, because they were necromancers too, even though they have nothing else otherwise, at least historically, to do with the Cappadocians or the Giovanni. I think that people will think of Cults of the Blood Gods as a Hecata book more than they think of anything else, not only are they added in here, but they get a longer treatment than any other clan has gotten to date, and possibly the longest treatment that any clan is going to get for some time. I personally love the old clan books, but I also know that role-playing game publishers generally don't consider it financially viable to release so-called splat books anymore. So I don't think we're going to get anything like a 5th edition Clan Book Toreador or Clan Book Lissambra or something like that. So the Hecata getting the normal write-up, plus an extra helping of Oblivion stuff, plus an extra whole chapter in this book that's about them, is, like I said, it's more than any other clan has gotten, and unfortunately maybe more than any other clan gets for some time. I like what they've done with the Hecata. It's a very vague sort of storyline reason for how we've gotten here. The bloodline formerly known as the Harbingers of Skulls, formerly known as part of the Cappadocians that ran off into the Shadowlands, came back and teamed up with some other people, but most notably a, a bunch of young Giovanni. They knocked off a lot of the old Giovanni, the Giovanni so-called antediluvian. Augustus is off missing. And so everybody is together in, if not one big happy family, then one family again, known as the family reunion. Like I said, there's 
There's a lack of detail in this. I think it works out. Do not have a super lot of detail on exactly what the deals are. Onyx Path in Chicago by Night had this really detailed deal about exactly how individual Lissambra could join the Camarilla now, and it didn't make a lot of sense. So this is one of those things sometimes where less is more. Each of those different things that used to be a clan or a bloodline within the Hecata are now, by default, like they all have the same clan bane, they all have the same clan compulsion, they all have the same clan disciplines by default. Now, there is an optional rule for variance in what the base disciplines are. I suspect that a lot of games will use that because in my experience, a lot of games still have an inclination to kind of shoehorn things back into what the previous editions did as far as whether or not an amalgam discipline is open to everybody. By default, everybody gets the same. In addition, there is what is called a bloodline for each of these different groups, including things that were not bloodlines in prior editions of Vampire the Masquerade. And a bloodline now is mechanically essentially the exact same thing as a lore sheet. You pick a concept, it's got five or so options, you can buy those individually with dots, Mechanically, really, what makes a bloodline different from a lore sheet is that it's called a bloodline. That means that it doesn't take up your one lore sheet background, because remember, rules as written, you can only ever have stuff from one lore sheet. I know that some games ignore that, but rules as written, that's what it is. So this lets you have a bloodline and a lore sheet. All of the things that used to be bloodlines get bloodlines here as well. All the different little families within the Giovanni get bloodlines, or at least most of them do here. This was a Kickstarter, so there were supplemental books that came out with it, or that are coming out. The first of those Children of the Blood is now available in PDF. It kind of rounds out some of the quote-unquote missing bloodlines and lore sheets from Cults of the Blood Gods, including the even more minor aspects of the Giovanni families that were not covered in Cults of the Blood Gods. But when you're thinking about the bloodlines, do remember that they do work like lore sheets. They are not a collection of, of vampire powers. They're thematic, right? They might just be about money or connections or that sort of things. They're not things about being mystically different, really, because you're a member of this particular bloodline. I think that this works out well. I think that it lets people have the feel of being this different bloodline without requiring an explosion of different effectively clans the way that the game expresses them now. It does mean that no matter what you are, you do have that Hecata downside, the clan bane, where you, instead of your kiss, the vampire drinking blood being pleasurable, is extremely painful for the human, if you are taking it out of a human. That does have a significant gameplay impact on the Hecata. It makes you, to some extent, either go the path of a character who really goes out of their way to never directly feed from a human, or a character who is willing to effectively torture someone every time it is that you need to drink. And that kind of pushes the Hecata down two different paths. And that then carries over to all of their bloodlines now. 
The other thing that there's a lot of material on here is Oblivion, which is another thing that can push your Hecata in, into bad things. We first had Oblivion introduced in Chicago by Night because Oblivion is an amalgam of what used to be necromancy and what used to be obtenebration. So Oblivion, like Blood Sorcery, has normal powers at the different discipline levels, but also has what they're called ceremonies. They function essentially the same as Blood Sorcery rituals do. And it's kind of interesting because there's a whole stack of new powers, of non-amalgam powers added here for Oblivion, which means that at, at most levels, I think everything but four, Oblivion now has at least four powers at every one of those levels, which is non-amalgam powers. So you're looking with Oblivion having about twice as many non-amalgam options as you have with every other discipline. I would like to see this for other disciplines, but right now just Oblivion has it. I, I don't think that they've really made optimal use of the system that they've created with the flexibility of having different discipline power options at, at the same dot level. I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see them kind of work that mechanical space. And Oblivion is the first one that they're really going to do that for. Unsurprisingly, the Oblivion ceremonies and the Oblivion powers in here are going to mimic a lot of the old necromancy powers and to a lesser extent some of the powers that the other bloodlines like the Harbingers of Skulls and the Semeti had in prior editions of now on to the the next part of the book, right? Which is that cults of the blood god stuff. So like I said, I think the Hecata thing is going to be people's biggest interest here. But cults of the blood gods, this is coming up because vampire religions are supposed to be more of a thing in V5. It's never really explained exactly how that works in the core book or Camarilla. There's a lot of emphasis on these Methuselah cults. I'll tell you what, having read the whole Cults of the Blood Gods, I still say there really isn't much in the way of information on Methuselah cults because other than like continuing to bring Mithras up over and over again, there really aren't any Methuselah cults to speak of. You have things like, we're going to take you know, Helena, and say that, oh, well, yeah, we'll call her followers a cult now, but really, it's just her influence network, just like it always was. It's not one of the major things that's addressed in this book. So what I think you really more have is just kind of a more coverage of vampire religions and more influence given to them, which is kind of consistent with the way that cities are more distinctively run as presented in V5 than they were in prior editions of, of V20. There are like seven major cults that are covered here. There's the Ashfinders, which is a thin blood cult based around, as far as I can tell, doing drugs and social media influencers. So, you know, I it seems to be playing with like, it's the millennial cult. So congratulations, millennials. Some of you are like 39 now and, you know, holding down a mortgage and have multiple children. The world is still going to talk about you as if you were all like 21-year-olds partying, uh, you know, on some tropical island. The second one is the Bahari. This has been around for ages. This is the Lilith worshippers. There was a whole book about this way, 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 way back in the day. To go along with the Book of Nod, there was Revelations of the Dark Mother. The general 
history of the Bahari is that you know they assert that almost every power that Cain has, he learned from Lilith and then betrayed her. They're big on fertility, they're big on gardens, and hating Cain. So the Bahari, you may remember, actually have a lore sheet back in the core book, and they also have a Bahari-ish lore sheet, the Cultivars, in Chicago by Night. So that is not a lore sheet you get here. You have the Church of Cain. As presented here, this is not like really a development off of the Sabbat Cain fetish thing. It's really more of a rebirth of the Cainite heresy, which was a Gnostic heresy that kind of petered out, I think, in the early 1200s in the official vampire canon timeline. The Church of Cain sees the god of the Hebrew Bible as the demiurge. I mean, consistent with, to some extent, consistent with Gnostic philosophy, right? And religion, you have a creator of the material world who is actually evil, and then you have a true god who is, you know, the creator of the spiritual. In vampire Gnosticism, the god of the Bible is the evil material creator of the world, and then Cain is an angel of the true god who's here to save the world from hell. And, you know, it has a lot to do with getting in touch with your vampire nature and such. The Church of Set, Church of Set's kind of what it always was, except, right, instead of being a clan, it's just a religion that is heavily dominated by members of one clan. The Cult of Shalem is a nihilistic, effectively NPC-only cult. Shalem is an abyssal entity, but, you know, it's one of these things where the goal is to make yourself and everyone else miserable and bring about the end of the world. There's the Mithraic Mysteries again. Like I said, this is the one real Methuselah cult, even though I don't think it's kind of unclear that Mithras is even alive anymore again, or he's not even undead anymore again. Uh, And then there's the Nephilim, which is a beauty-obsessed descendant of the triumvirate of old-school Byzantium, which was the Methuselahs, Michael and Antonius and the Draken. There was a lot to their philosophy. There's not really a lot to the philosophy of the Nephilim. It's like Let's get together with the beautiful people and look beautiful and have big parties and say mean things about Nosferatu. Those are the major ones. There's about 10 more minor ones. There's things about the the Master of Ravens that, you know, if you went back to Lair of the Hidden from the old school, there's the Sons and Daughters of Helena, uh, and then there's the Menelaeans. He's not even alive. An antediluvian serving cult. The Cleopatrans, who are the Nosferatu, who want to look pretty, but the Nephilim won't let them in, that sort of thing. So that's kind of the content. How well is it presented? It's okay. There's a lot of history to these cults in the vampire world, and there's no way you're going to present it here. These made The major cults get about 10 pages each, if that. But I really feel like they kind of assume that you know some of the history of these. So if you really have never heard of these cults, and you've never run into them before, the presentations don't do something like start off with saying, who is Set? What's the core history of the world according to Set? What's the core tenets of of being a Setite? How does that work on a basic level? You get this really vague stuff about chaos bringers, and that could mean like 12 different things. It's nice to get this content. You know, I'm always happy to see more of the Bahari, but it doesn't give as clear an overview of what the cults are as I would like. It does 
give some decent day-to-day usage stuff from the cults, like what are their rituals, what are their, you know, mystery circles, that sort of things that are are more practical for in play, but I, I do wish they had that more overall clarity. Honestly, the mortal cults in some ways, I suspect, are, are of tertiary interest to people here, right? These things where you've got people worshipping vampires or or whatever it is. Because they don't have the same splashiness of adding a new clan to the game. They don't have the same splashiness of these vampire religions. But I'll tell you what. There are two chapters that are basically about mortal cults. One is giving some examples of mortal cults. And one is an example of sort of... uh, Not an example. It's like an instruction manual on ideas to keep in mind when trying to create a cult. I'll tell you what. These are both extremely well done chapters. And they're both very useful. There's, There's five different mortal cults. They're all very different. So remember, these are all mortal cults. Some of them are cults worshipping a vampire. Some of them are opposing vampires. Some of them think they're worshipping a vampire. Right? right? There's, there's a lot of diversity here in what the concepts of these cults are. And they're all really well done. I could see taking any one of them and just yoinking it and dropping it into a chronicle. There's, there's definitely a lot to work with. Very clearly written. I really liked it. The chapter on how to build a cult was really good and surprisingly good. And I say surprisingly good because role-playing game supplements are really hit or miss on advice. It's really easy to put out a role-playing game supplement that either has a bunch of vagaries that you're never really going to figure out how to put in, or it says things that are just kind of obvious, but are hard to implement, like, oh, it could be really useful if you can get a hand in organized crime. Well, yes, but how do I translate that into my character, you know, getting a foothold in organized crime, as opposed to just saying at the start of character creation, oh, yeah, I've uh, I've got influence in that. It can be hard to do that. Or they've got something that's useful, but it's more like the, well, it's useful if you've never played a role-playing game before. But I think that this section on cult construction was really good. It had details. It had details that were really practical about how cults control people and how they come up with rules and they manipulate people and and you know like the nature of the rules, not just how they come up with them, but like the way that they cabin people's lives off, one to keep them close to the cults and then two because part of the reason why people succumb to the cult is because it provides them with guidance. And, and I mean, and, and some of the stuff, even even tables, there's a table in here that I actually think is useful. You wouldn't think it's a big deal of a table. It's got a table that's just a list of words to associate with cults. But you know what? If you're trying to come up with what on earth the name is of, you know, yet another vampire blood-worshipping cult thingy is for this character to be running, it can be pretty handy to have just a a pile of words. I mean, I've literally already used it. Again, the sections on these, not the vampire religions, but the mortal cult stuff, very, very good. Not as splashy, not as highlight reel, not as much of a marketing draw as there's a new clan, but really well done. So that is Cults of the Blood Gods. If you want the Hecata, you're going to have to get this, right? That is still the big draw. It's introducing a new clan. It has a whole pile of Oblivion powers. It packs in all of the different Giovanni-related, Cappadocian-related bloodlines you could ever want, and one that isn't even really related. 
it's all all jammed in there. I think people will be happy with it. I mean, if you're if you're just militantly opposed to the notion of combining bloodlines into a bigger clan or combining of tenebration and necromancy to make oblivion, there's nothing that any book is going to do to change the, your mind on that. So, you know, it is what it is. But it definitely delivers on the mechanical front in that way. The vampire religion stuff is welcome. It doesn't provide the level of clarity that I wish it had, but it's still nice to have. And then the stuff about Mortal Calls and Cold Creation is excellent and a, a hidden gem of this book. That is Cults of the Blood Gods. You can get it in PDF right now. The hardbacks, I think, are some... If you're not a Kickstarter backer, the hardbacks are in the distribution channel and should be hitting soon, I believe. So go forth and enjoy. All right, well... That's it for this Strange Assembly podcast. The last couple of times I've tried to tell you what sort of episode might be coming out next. I honestly have no idea this time. I was thinking maybe I'd do one for Children of the Blood, but honestly, I don't think I'm going to you know, cram a whole other episode into that. The main reason you're going to want to go get it is because it's got a good selection of mechanics, including rounding out some of the lore sheet bloodline holes that were left from Cult of the Blood God. So that's also PDF-only available on DriveThruRPG, like every other RPG PDF in the world. You've been listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to this podcast there on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or whatever your podcatching service is. If you don't see Strange Assembly on your favorite podcatching service, please let me know and I'll try to fix that situation. You can reach me at chris at strangeassembly.com. You can also find us at the usual social media if you want to get a hold of us that way or follow us or whatever, right? We're at strangeassembly on Twitter, facebook.com slash strangeassembly, and every once in a while even at strangeassembly on Instagram. But until then, I'm Chris Stevenson. This is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.